Hello and welcome to Women Decode STEM and I am your host Neha Savana. In this podcast I talk to women in science, engineering, technology and mathematics fields. We will be discussing career paths, gender equality and mentorship. Cybersecurity is one of the fastest growing fields today, which means we will need more trained professionals taking up jobs in this space in the coming years. Lakshmi Sudhir, senior security partner at Netflix, talks to us about the different roles in the cybersecurity space. She explains how security is integrated in every step of the software development life cycle. She also tells us the importance of bug bounty programs for both companies and professionals in the community. And since we are all working remotely and using the internet now more than ever, we will be discussing important steps to manage personal security. Hi Lakshmi, thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you Neha, thank you for having me here. Great, let's get started. We know that um, cybersecurity is all about protecting your applications, your networks and software. To understand the field better, can you tell us a little bit about the different roles and responsibilities within this space? Sure. So I think cybersecurity is quite broad and the multiple places where security plays a role in making sure that your company or your application as a whole is secure. A couple of uh, areas where most people can work on or someone who's thinking of a cybersecurity career can focus on is one is on the front lines where you have a product, you may choose to work with all the engineers who are building out this product, try to understand, do be there at the architecture review phase. And that's called the product security engineer, where you're involved with understanding what is this product and how can I go about and secure it. So that's one of the fields that I am in right now. The other part to it is uh, more around penetration testing, which is nothing but testing, but security testing. This could also be a part of being a product security engineer or it's a job by itself. So this is where you get to hack Mm -hmm. and do all the cool stuff where you go into an application, you try to like see how, what are the different ways that I could exploit the system. So that's something that is a penetration tester. Um, As we all know now, everything's on the cloud, right? Like AWS, Azure, GCP are the ones we run our code on. The whole world of deployment has changed and we also have data sources that are in the cloud. Now, these configurations have to be taken care of. You have like uh, your identity management systems within the cloud, like IAM roles in case of AWS. And that's where a cloud security engineer will come in and they will bring their expertise around how can we make sure that we do permissions management. I think if you're in tech, you would have read a lot about as open as three buckets, right? Like you do have a three buckets and it's more or less like, oh, you've either left an object public or you've left the whole S3 bucket public. And that contains a lot of important information for your company. That could be one of the examples where uh, a cloud security engineer could help like go and figure out all the permissions, work on managing this whole system. And then there's storage of keys and a bunch of things that you have to do for all your backups and uh, on AWS on any of the cloud platforms that you're using. These are all uh, more proactive. Also, there's one more part that is proactive, which is more around security engineering. If you are a software developer, and let's say for a company, 
you want to maintain and manage and build out new tools that are for security. Uh, you may build something like an authentication system. Like when you go into your company and you want to log in, you may have your own like identity management system. This team builds more of the foundational stuff. Like they want to scale security. Like you don't want to have like one product security engineer looking at one architecture. Once you find a theme and you feel like everyone can leverage a single sign-on, for example, that's something they build. All of these are more around the proactive side of things. There's also the field of detection and response, which is where even after doing all of this stuff, there's always going to be new attacks. There's always going to be something that your company has to make sure that they detect in terms of if there is an attack happening. Let's say it could be cyber criminals who are just like script queries of people who have just started. Or it could also be national level, like uh, nation-run cybersecurity criminals who want to get into your system. You want to have detection in place because no system is ever 100% secure. That's why you have detection and response engineers and they basically are in SOCs. SOCs are where mostly that uh, you may have firewalls, you may have all of these systems in place which are going to be checked by these engineers. So these are some of the roles. Something in a similar space right now which is growing is the privacy engineering aspect of it or risk engineering aspect of it where you have folks come in who are privacy experts and they talk about like with your product, are you providing privacy to your customers? How do you make sure that if you have to use some information, you inform your consumers and customers about like, hey, this is the information and how do we go about navigating these laws? That's more on the privacy side. Risk is more of like, let's say a risk is basically when you have these controls, you have this kind of data in case of a compromise, it attaches a dollar value to it saying, hey, this is the amount we're going to lose if this compromise happens. So this is the risk for our company with the current controls. And if you upgrade your controls, they will come up with this number saying, hey, now our risk has reduced. So each company has, you have to take risk because it's always business and security going hand in hand versus against each other. So it's just how much is your risk appetite? So these are the different aspects of like cybersecurity. These are some of the flavors of it. Okay, that's really interesting. Being in the software space, we would have touched upon all of this, but we won't be able to pinpoint and say this is, you know, the security field or a security person has to come in and take care of all of this. That's interesting. You briefly touched upon this point. You said that now companies are moving to the cloud platform. Have you worked on any of these cloud platforms so far? Is there a preference between like on-prem systems and cloud platforms? So for me, I have mostly in most of the companies I've worked in so far, I've seen a predominant use of AWS and Azure, not playing favorites, but that's something that I've uh, seen. As a product security engineer, my uh, work with AWS or Azure has been more towards, uh, like I said, uh, working on a little bit of permissions management, but I've mostly focused on the product security side of things where I haven't had too much of a chance to work on a lot of like AWS configurations and stuff. And with respect to on-prem versus like having a cloud, uh, having a cloud provider, I would totally inch towards having a cloud provider. It's just a personal bias, I believe, but it just makes things so much more easy, right? It's again an application, it's again an endpoint. So for me from security, I'm like, oh, I could go secure it. So just, I think two schools of thought. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I feel the same way uh, with respect to the cloud platforms. Like, I think AWS and Azure are definitely 
some of the most preferred platforms because I think they're more scalable and like looking at larger companies. Okay, I want to talk about the security solutions now. Can you tell us about some of the services that are being used to build these solutions? Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, So I think one thing I want to put it out there before we go into the details is no one size fits all. For example, for a company uh, that deals with, let's say, SSNs, HR data, a lot of sensitive data, and what we call PII, which is personally identifiable information, right? Or it could be banks. Now, these are companies where security is important and the services you everywhere security is important but these are companies where you may have to have a lot of services that take care of security a lot more people for detection and response while let's say there's a company that's just streaming some video which is public then that's where i don't think uh, you would have to have all the security controls or you would have to have like as strict of a control as a bank would have So putting this out there, I think some of the common pieces or easy wins, right, when you're starting off is to have a vulnerability management uh, software. For example, uh, we all use open source security, right? Like open source libraries are very, very common. Now, when you use these, uh, one of the common things I think even as developers or just being in the tech field, you would have heard of might be CVEs, which are security vulnerabilities in these open source software. So as a company, as a developer, when you're choosing this open source library, you're using it in your software. Now, whenever there's a vulnerability, this is public and anyone from the outside, any attacker can use this to exploit and get into your systems. So to solve that, we have something called vulnerability management tools or software, which you could build yourself or there are multiple like organizations that offer that as a service is where you could scan all of your uh, libraries, compare it with this database, and that helps you keep your software updated. Keeping your software updated is the easiest thing to do for you to protect yourself from attacker. That's one aspect of it. The second one is more around like you could have something like web application firewalls, network level firewalls, which actually uh, can provide you more insight into your traffic and help with detection and response that we initially spoke about. You could also make it more active to actually drop requests that you have 100% confidence that this is a malicious request. So firewalls are one way of doing it at every layer. Uh, Something you could also do is analyze code, have some code reviews by a security engineer or scale it by using SaaS tools, which is static application security uh, tools, which scan your code for common bad practices, common security malpractices. But business logic flaws still lie within like someone who's writing it to have that education, have some kind of an awareness of like, hey, this these are some basic things that could be exploited in my code. So just having a good mix of those would help. Something else is maybe as simple as checking for overscope access. Now, as an employee, let's say I'm just writing code and uh, I know that uh, the sales team doesn't write code, right? Sales team has their job to do. So maybe making sure that only your team has access to this code is important. Also, I think one big thing, like I said, since no one size fits all, asking teams what they care about, right? When I go talk to a team in my everyday job, I understand a lot more about what they're worried about than I could as a security engineer standing outside of the team. So I think talk to people, talk to teams, try to understand what your business does overall, and then scope it down to like what each team does. Try to find the right areas and invest and use any of these services. These are some of the things that come to mind. Okay, moving on to really understand like the responsibilities of a security engineer. Can you tell us what your typical day looks like? What are some of the activities you do throughout the day? 
So uh, my title is a senior security partner. I work in product security right now. So for me, my overall goal is to reduce the risk of the organization. So there are two parts to my job that I do. One is operational stuff, which is which could be like smaller reviews, or there could be a question about security. Hey, what part do I take? How do I go about building uh, this application? That's one part of it, which is more of the operational stuff, which I do day to day. And there's also one big project that I own. For example, uh, what I do is I go into an organization. Let's assume it's uh, payments, for example, right? I go, I try to understand the whole architecture and that, that would have multiple microservices. And then overall, I make a plan to understand how can I strengthen this part for the organization? How can I strengthen payments? Then I go and I look into all of these architecture, uh, the whole architecture, try to draw out like the areas of risk, areas that could be improved and uh, places where we are faring quite well from a security posture standpoint. Then I look into each of these microservices, I prioritize them based on risk. I look into where the data is going, where is the data coming in from, where is it going and how can we secure this? So that's something uh, I do. I work with a lot of engineering teams. I work with engineers directly. Uh, on various teams who, like I said before, they know their product really well. So I work with them to understand their product. I bring in my security expertise and use it to do some threat modeling, get the risks and then find actionable things that we could do or leverage from the security engineering team that I was talking about where you build scalable security. Or let's say passwords and code, right? That's something all of us have seen and understand. Maybe we could just build a tool that always makes sure that when someone's committing, you could see if uh, you could do a real-time scan of like, does this look like a secret depending on the entropy and then just give a note to the developer or be more active about storing it in some other secret management system. So things like this. So I find opportunities to like build scaling tools as well as like take these one-off instances, work with the teams to do a threat model and then try to fix and go about fixing all the themes to reduce risk that's one of the things i do i also support with incidents and stuff so with the detection and response that we initially spoke about i try to work with them in case they need any input about any application and i have worked with it or i have more information from the product part of things then i assist like them to do their job about handling and containing the incident yeah that's really interesting so looking at a software development cycle um what part of it does your role come in so I think uh, I come in or security comes in at every step of the process. The sooner teams reach out to us or we get to know about it, it's better. So we could actually take care of a lot of security things at the design phase. So I think starting off, if you look at SDLC, uh, in the design phase, we do a lot of threat modeling and architecture review. We review the architecture since the design is still being built. And we talk about like where are the aspects where either this architecture could be uh, improved with respect to security or what can we add to make it more secure, right? And what are the different ways that this could be exploited? So looking at the whole model, we come and we do the design review, we provide some uh, guidance around like, hey, can we use this library? We Or can we like just make easy tweaks to the way this is being called? Or can we have authentication while calling this REST API? So we come in at the design phase and it's always helpful to be at the design phase because after the product is built, it's always more expensive to go back and make changes. Most of the time, our whole idea, my core idea, especially personally, is I want to enable developers build something securely. I don't want to be a roadblock. And sometimes there is this thought about security being a roadblock. 
And I think uh, both security engineers as well as developers, we all have to come together to say that, hey, we are doing this for the business. And not everything, like I said, has to be 100% secure. So that's something, if you involve us in the design phase, it's so much more easier for me to say, hey, I'm worried about this. Maybe we just take care of this. The other thing I'm worried about doesn't seem like a huge probability of occurring. So let's let that go. So I think there's always this good balance of security and the business requirement to go out there, create new features. Um, the next part after the code is uh, developed and you already have all of your code ready is code reviews. We spoke about it a little uh, prior to this in the services. So you could have automated and manual. There are some best practices. Business logic flaws, of course, are only found through manual. So I think these are some places where uh, code reviews would really help. The next part is the testing phase, right? In testing phase, I think one of the ways we could uh, accomplish a good a sanity testing for security is to add some of the security tests to this set and we can perform penetration testing. You remember I'd spoken over penetration testing before. So uh, that's something that we could add in the testing phase. And after production is where bug bounty comes into picture, where you have it in production and there are all of these great researchers within the security community and companies that manage these programs. So you could leverage bug bounty to have like uh, bug bounty processes to help you with finding any uh, vulnerabilities that go to fraud. And the reason why security is never 100% is because if you think of uh, any system, right, while we can think of one way of hacking it, someone else with a different thought process will think of 10 other ways of hacking it going across the solution, going through the solution. And that's why it's always going to be a constant thing of like, oh my God, I couldn't think of this. And that's why you need diversity. You need like different kinds of people and Bug Bounty gives you an opportunity to leverage that. Other than that, uh, I think uh, in general, one management is definitely out there post-production as well because there might be a new vulnerability in the library that you were using. So you may have to go update the library. So that's always going to stay there as like a post-production thing that you could still take care of. There's some best practices in open web application security uh, community called OWASP. So that could also be used as an education for the next things we build based on what we find in this piece of error software. That gives a good picture of the whole software development cycle and what you do throughout. So cybersecurity space is relatively new when you compare it to like software development or anything else. And you have been working in this field for how long now? Five years or more than that? Yeah, around five yeah. years, right? So, yeah. Five, six years, yeah. Um, do you have any um, anything that you really like about this field, and have you faced any challenges being in this field? So uh, that's a good question, and I think uh, one of the things that I really, really like, I have a love hate relationship with, is with how it's ever evolving. This is no one day where you can actually say that, oh, I know it all. There's always a new way of exploiting things. There's always a new vulnerability. There's always something more creative. So I like the part about this field where you always have a lot to learn. You always have folks to look up to who come up with creative ways, not just to break in, but also to defend. So it's it's just interesting to be involved uh, in this field where so much keeps happening. And also, I think something that I really love is the community support. Like, there's a huge community of security professionals. And these days, we have improved a lot more mm -hmm. with uh, having these conversations around diversity, having these conversations about, like, hacker conferences as to how they were traditionally to how we should move towards more of an inclusive model. 
So I, I really find support in the community that we have. There's a lot of volunteering opportunities as well. And also there are a lot of jobs. So these are all really something that I love about the security community. Coming about challenges, every field has its own challenges. I think with security, one of the biggest challenge is also what I mentioned is I, what I like, is around ever evolving uh, things. You know, you're always learning, you're always learning, you're always behind. It just feels like a constant battle that you're never going to win. And also sometimes it's so much information that uh, it's easy to burn out. So I think trying to find that good balance of like, yes, I know the basics. This is something that I'm going to keep learning is probably something that's going to you know keep folks sane. But it is a lot of information as you go on your job. It's, you're never done. Okay, that's actually a good challenge to have. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Um, you spoke about this a little bit earlier, but I think it'll be interesting for our listeners to know more about. Can you tell us what a bug bounty program is? Sure. Uh, so bug bounty program basically provides an opportunity for companies to be able to get uh, exploits or vulnerabilities after they are in production. Now, what this means is we have a lot of security researchers around the world. Each security researcher or each person in general, right? We have a different thought process. If there's one way to fix things, there are 10 other ways to break it in. So that's where Bug Bounty Program brings in all these security researchers across the world and companies together. Now, as a company, you cannot hire 100 people, 1,000 people to come take a look at your application to find any of the vulnerabilities or security gaps. So that's where Bug Bounty comes into picture. Bug Bounty helps you as if you are a company. I've been on both sides of it. I've been a Bug Bounty researcher myself as well as taken, uh, been on the Bug Bounty and managing the Bug Bounty program for companies. From a company, what you could do is you could set up a Bug Bounty program on some of the providers like Bug Crowd, HackOne. These are organizations that predominantly offer this as a service. So you go in, you set up a program, you define the scope of the program. Now, we don't want every hacker to look into every part of our application. So you can go define what is in scope, what is not in scope. Now, uh, let's say I have an application, I don't know, com, right? I don't want someone probably testing payments at this point because I know it's not ready. I know it's not where it needs to be as a secure feature. So I'll be like, hey, everything except payments. And let's say I have multiple other domains that I want to put in scope, which are a part of my company. I go in, I define what exactly I want researchers to like come take a look into test and find some vulnerabilities that are of use to me. And the other part of this is what is it for security researchers who are doing this, right? This provides a very good opportunity for white hat. White hat is whom we call our ethical hackers to take a look come in and responsibly disclose this vulnerability. Whenever you find a security vulnerability in any application, I'm sure the organization wants to know and they want to go about and fix it. And they also reward you. So with bug bounty programs, you as a company, when you set it up, you only pay when researchers submit a valid bug. Now, once as a researcher, as a security researcher, let's say I'm in India or I'm in Israel and I'm trying to like find this vulnerability, I report it to this company, then they pay me based on the severity of the vulnerability. So this is a win-win situation because the company cannot hire thousand people, but still they get like hundreds of people who look into this application and they get paid only per buck. So it's a win-win situation for both here, the company as well as the program. And this is more of a controlled world, right? Like this is a controlled world where 
you can define the guidelines. You can also ask researchers to not really run these scanners because we can run our own scanners and find these ones. That's not what we are there for. So you get to define where you want to be. And this is at a lot of people make a lot of like good money over this. And I've even found like hackers or security researchers all over the world who do this primarily as a job. It's a wonderful opportunity for everyone uh, involved in this. And I think one of the guidelines that I always want to give is if you want to get into security and you have some knowledge, I would absolutely say that go into these programs, be it on Buckroot or HackerOne, take a look at some of the programs, look at the guidelines, please follow the guidelines and make sure that uh, you go about and look into these applications, which is like a test ground for you in real world. So you get the real world experience, you get to do all of this and try out the field. So um, that, that's something with the bug bounty process. And I really, really feel like that's a great leverage to both security community as well as like uh, organizations who really want to be uh, more responsible and fix vulnerabilities. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, now I want to talk a little bit about the current situation. Like right now, everybody yeah. is working from home because of the lockdown and we are so dependent on internet and software applications. So I think personal security practices is really crucial. Do you have any advice for all of us working from home and using different applications? Yeah, unfortunately, we are going through something that could be in the books of history. But in these challenging times, something that could be easy to do is definitely keep your software updated. That's the easiest thing you can do for yourself uh, to keep yourself secure. Also, uh, follow your especially when you're working from home, follow your employer's recommendations. If they suggest a VPN, make sure to use VPN when you're accessing all uh, sensitive aspects of your company. Use single sign-on that is provided by companies. If your company has a single sign-on, that's one of the good ways of doing it. Also, enable second-factor authentication. So even in case your uh, password is compromised, the second factor will always save you. So make sure you go about and enable your second factor authentication for all the systems that you use or all the applications that you use regularly. Something else I always feel is using strong passwords. Now, we all talk about strong passwords, but we know in reality that it's really hard to remember passwords. I mean, I have been guilty before of having really long passwords, but are they strong? No, if it says Lakshmi123, it's definitely not strong. If it's 123456, it's definitely not strong, though it's longer, right? So one of the things that I personally feel with having strong passwords is to use password managers. You have LastPass, you have OnePass and all of them. So it's helpful for you to have these uh, password managers, which actually suggest these strings. You don't have to remember. There's just one large long password that you have to remember and it takes care of having strong passwords. Most compromises of accounts actually happen from reused passwords. So don't reuse your passwords. Now we see a lot of breaches. We see, we hear about a lot of like, oh, my account is getting hacked and I don't know why. It could be because the other application that you had the same password for was leaked. I think other than folks working from home, it's also that most people are using the internet a lot more because that has become, become a way to like socialize, a way to like, right, deliver groceries and everything. So some of the things you should make sure, you should look into is look out for phishing emails. Phishing emails usually may have typos, but these days they're also sophisticated. Make sure that when you go to an application, look at the URL as to like, what is the URL? Where is it taking me to? Is it like facebook.com or 
forbook.com, right? Like sometimes it's hard to miss the difference with different pages. So make sure that you're conscious about where you're going. Also monitor your credit card activity. That's something I think most of us have experienced around having a lot of credit card fraud these times. So make sure to monitor your credit card activity, flag things that you find fishy or you have not made those purchases to your bank and make sure to act upon soon. That's something that I would say. And obviously don't click on everything. Malicious links are very easy to be found all over the internet. I would say that if you could do all of this, um, this should be pretty good as a beginning step to keep yourself secure and make sure to also inform senior folks in your family or friends you know about who may not understand technology as much to check with you before they give out credit card details over phone or any other information over phone because you could even use these security questions to reset passwords and emails and do all of that. So make sure to educate uh, folks who are not very tech savvy as well. Yeah, those are some great tips. Thanks, Lakshmi. Um, and that brings us towards the end of our session today. But as the last part of our chat, I have a couple of rapid fire questions for you. Okay. <laughs> They're going to be very easy. It's just fun. Are you ready? Yes, let's do it. Name one person who is your role model. This is a hard one. Let's... Okay, Michelle Obama. <laughs> <laughs> Describe yourself in one word. Enthusiastic. Your favorite book? Sapiens. I recently started reading that. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, that was your rapid fire round. I think you did pretty well. Thank you. <laughs> you say so. Okay. Thanks, Lakshmi, for joining us on the show today and uh, telling us a lot about cybersecurity and also personal best practices. Thank you so much, Neha, for having me. I actually enjoyed this. That is it for today's episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. Let me know by giving us a review on iTunes or Spotify or any other platform that you're listening on. The show notes have links to my guests and all the things that we just spoke about. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast because I will be back next week with another amazing women in STEM.